This episode of the Crack House Chronicles is brought to you by BetterHelp. Is there something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals? BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can start communicating in under 48 hours. This is not a crisis line or a self-help line. It's professional counseling done securely online. Now, Dale, this is a broad range of expertise that is available, which may not be locally available in many areas. Yeah, this service is available for clients worldwide. Worldwide? Worldwide. Worldwide. And you can log into your account anytime and send a message to your counselor. You'll get a timely and thoughtful response, plus you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions. So you don't have to ever have to worry about sitting in an uncomfortable waiting room and waiting on a traditional therapist. Yeah, which is really good in this time. You don't really want to go and sit in the waiting room with a bunch of people with the stuff going on that's going on today. Sitting there with a mask on and, oh, yeah. Yeah, it's no good. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches. And if you don't like your counselor, it's pretty easy to change. Okay, sounds good. Yeah. It's more affordable than traditional online counseling and financial aid is available. That's always good. Right that's, a, that's awesome. Yeah. And BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. That's right. So visit their website and read the testimonials. They're posted there daily. All right, Dale. Visit BetterHelp.com slash CHC. That's Better H-E-L-P. And you can join over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. That's right. In fact, so many people are using it now. They're actually recruiting counselors in all 50 states. So a special offer for our listeners, you can get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash C-H-C. you got to use the code word BetterHelp.com slash C-H-C. Hey, what is up, everyone? Welcome to the Crack House Chronicles. I am Donnie, your host, and with me is a man that says if he ever becomes a serial killer, he wants to be known as, I didn't say curly fries, drive through Strangler. That's right. It's Cause Dale. Because I, <laughs> I can't stand no damn curly fries. Hey, what's going, <laughs> what's going on, man? What's happening, bro? Uh, ready to finish up Richard Ramirez. What you got going on? Uh, oh, yeah, I'm ready to, man. We've been on this a while, and... Uh, kind of strung out a little bit longer but we had you know some stuff going on and that's just what it is and and we wanted to cover richard's case pretty in depth because this is a pretty well-known case and we want to make sure we hit it try to hit every base we could yeah we didn't want to fly through it or nothing no no we, we don't we don't do that on anything but you know what i mean but we want to make sure it got the the recognition it deserved and you know all the highlights and all the ins and outs with right. richard well, there's a lot of details to this. Especially ins and outs. Ins and outs, with, yeah. with Richard. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> that was wrong. I'm sorry. All right. We want to remind everyone, too, about our website, our store page. Go on there and get you some T-shirts, merch, mugs, masks. Just about anything you want on there, guys. That's right. Get us some stuff. Get you some stuff. And also, our social media pages, Instagram, Facebook. Give us a like. Give and us a follow. Go subscribe to our YouTube channel, please. Yep. And I'm a little behind on getting things uploaded to YouTube because I have to do it separately. And I just, when I get done with dropping an episode, I just don't think about YouTube, but I will get that taken care of. I'm about. (laughs) Do you you get tired of one of those long, hard drops you just wore out? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, no. That was a long, hard drop. But yeah, 
I'm about two episodes behind on YouTube, but I'll get, I'll get it taken care of. That's okay. All right. We won't hold it against you. I'll try, thank you. I appreciate it. All right. We're going to do Richard Ramirez Part 3. The final chapter. The final. And <laughs> Dale, how do we finish up on Part 2? Well, I think uh, when we finished up, he had just came back into town. Uh, the, the mob had chased him down the street and taken him out, hit him over the head with a... Uh, the metal pole from the fence is really whooping up on him pretty good. Citizens arrest. Citizens arrest. Citizens arrest. I think this is the only serial killer that's ever been caught by yeah. a mob. This is like the perfect ending for, uh, well, I don't know about perfect, but, you know, the the apprehension part, you know, is like, it's really like a, kind of like a movie or something. It's mm-hmm. just something you wouldn't think would really happen, you know. Yeah. And then they kind of paired it a little bit off of uh American Horror Story, 1984, you know, yeah. so it was kind of like, just like it was. But, uh, yeah, he was uh, in the back of the car, the police car, after they had got there and saved him from the mob and uh, had his head wrapped up pretty good from being and being bludgeoned by the crowd, and uh, we're taking him in. And this is uh, East L.A. Yeah. Rough, rough neighborhoods. Jesus, John. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And if you look, there's YouTube videos on this, and you can check it out and this neighborhood where he was captured these people are partying at night oh yeah i mean they were dancing on the roof partying in the street passing out beer well you think about you know they've been terrorized all this time so now it's kind of you know we can yeah we can we can raise our windows and go back to sleep without yeah because <laughs> it was a what a year to almost two years of yeah constant terror this guy's off the street yeah we got him we got the matador all right we're going to get into the trial and conviction and all the final stuff with richard ramirez and try to close this thing out yeah there's a whole lot of hoopla it is oh yeah all right dale jury selection for the trial began on july 22nd 1988 and at his first court appearance richard was kind of hiding behind his lawyer he wasn't showing his face cow down i mean he was very i don't even know how to describe it he wasn't making a a, a showing like he usually did no he was, yeah he was pretty timid looking actually yeah but now, the first time around. But a couple weeks later, at his second court appearance, it was like a total different Ramirez. Yeah. I mean, he was showing his antics, uh, yelling, Hail Satan. Yep. Smirking a little bit. The yeah. second one's actually when he came in with the pentagram drawn in his palm, right? Yeah, held up his palm. Yeah. Was the pentagram in 666. Right. Yeah. That I didn't think was there until we looked closer. Yeah. You can, you can uh, if you just Google Richard Ramirez, you're going to see that photo because that's one of the most infamous photos of him mm-hmm. with that little smirk on his face and holding his hand up yeah so yeah the jury selection was almost three years after he was captured so he sat in jail for a while yeah and there was a lot of we're gonna get into this too about lawyers and different things but he, he switched lawyers like three times yeah it's it a bunch of crazy stuff yeah you know and then right after the, the jury selection began is when uh some of the jail employees overheard Ramirez planning on shooting the prosecutor with a gun. He was trying to get somebody to smuggle a gun into the courtroom. Yeah. And that was pretty wild. But what was weird, too, I guess they even, this was before metal detectors. They even had a metal detector installed outside. Yeah, so he was wondering if he's the, he's the beginning of the metal detectors. It, it could very well be. And also, Dale, just a few weeks later on August the 14th, the trial was actually interrupted because one of the jurors, whose name was Phyllis Singletary, she didn't show up to the courtroom that day. Right. And it was later found out that she was shot to death in her apartment. Yeah, and they were all flipping out then. Yeah, I bet all the jurors were, I mean, they were, yeah. 
wondering, you know, if Ramirez had something to do with this. Yeah, I wonder if he had directed it from his prison cell or had Satan go over and shoot her. Yeah. <laughs> but later, it was determined that it was, he didn't have nothing to do with it. No. It was her boyfriend, right? Yeah, and he actually committed suicide later with the same weapon in a hotel. Right. The alternate juror who replaced Singletary was too frightened to even return to her home. That's crazy. I, can't, I mean, I, I probably would have been too. Right. Now, this jury selection, it was a big deal. It was, how many did they go through trying to get this? 3,000. So, imagine that. that 3,000. No wonder it took three years. Yeah. 3,000. Yeah, because, I mean, there you can hardly find anybody that didn't know anything about this. No. You I mean, he couldn't, once you know, he wasn't getting a fair trial anyway. Mm-hmm, that's but, right. Now, with all this trial, Dale, and to begin, there was a series of pyrotechnical relationships between Ramirez's defense lawyers and between the lawyers and the Ramirez family. And the municipal judge, Elva Soper, had designated a public defender named Alan Adeshek. And he was counsel for the defense. But this move was contrary to the Ramirez's, the Ramirez's of El Paso. And I think this was mainly his sister. Yeah, I think so, too. Yeah, that was leading up all, all this. And she wanted, and, and they wanted her son and brother of the family, you know, Richard wanted to be defended by another attorney who his name was Manuel Barraza. And Adeshack claimed he had been appointed chief defense and refused to relinquish that position. So he didn't want to give it up. No, that's high profile. Oh, he yeah. Did. He didn't want to give And after haggling caused delays, Barraza finally backed off, announcing that he was not prepared to stay with a trial that he expected to last for years. Right, which it did. Oh, yeah. And with Barraza leaving... Ramirez began balking that he did not like Adeshack and refused to accept him as his lawyer. And it seemed to have been a clash with personalities mostly. And Adeshack was no-nonsense type who refused to put him put up his client's mood swings and bad boy behavior in the court. Because he, he would yell out stuff and just... Yeah, he's basically saying this trial's a joke and all that Satan stuff. And he was just kind of doing whatever he wanted to do. Yeah. And in an, in an effort to keep things rolling and to grant the defense all the liberties allowed to a man on trial, especially, you know, Richard being a minority, you know, Judge Soper in October hesitantly accepted Ramirez's quest for, return, for termination of Adeshack and welcomed into court a new counselor hired by Rosa Flores, who was Richard's Ramirez's sister. Yeah. yeah, Richard's sister. Richard. And the latest was a man named Joseph Gallego. He was a 56-year-old Californian with two decades of legal experience. But the courts discovered that uh, with a very minor police record uh, years earlier, and by all indication, he was a talented man who sincerely, and he personally believed in his client and very importantly understood the Latino culture. And if given a chance, he probably would have proven capable and if given a chance, but... Uh, Florida uh, was fired in. Yeah, so Richard Sister got rid of him, too. Yeah, she got rid of him. So basically, uh, they're just wanting to bring in their own people and, and try to... Do what they want but you know right. this is kind of smart because uh they ended up getting two attorneys um named daniel and arturo uh, hernandez but they weren't related they just had the same last name but they had never tried a high profile case like this any kind of murder trial or anything like that and you know i think this was a it might have been a pretty smart move to do this to maybe get a mistrial to kind of go like, like say had incompetent right yeah <clears throat> so it might have been a pretty good smart move trying a know. different angle i guess because they knew pretty much they were screwed you know but I, the, I think but the prosecutors 
they it was reported they were working double time and a half to make sure that this defense this Hernandez defense team got what they needed and everything they needed so they wouldn't be a mistrial. Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure they were overwhelmed. They probably gave them so much stuff because you know the pressure was on the prosecutors. Do not screw this up. Yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah, we've got so much on this. We don't we don't want it to end. Right. We want we want it to go the full case. It's got go. we can, we got him nailed to the wall. We just so don't you screw it up. And Richard, you know, some of his antics, he seemed to enjoy staring down and witnesses in the podium in an effort to fluster them. And he realized the power of fear in his dark eyes. Oh, yeah. And at one point, the weary judge, who had had enough of mind games, warned him to stop and stop now. That was his, his words. And Ramirez tested the warning and once again set his black pupils on the next witness to take the stand. And the judge nodded to the bailiff, and the, the bailiff physically yanked the defendant's head in the other direction. Ramirez grunted and leaped to his feet attacked the bailiff and within, within seconds he was overcome by courtroom guards who dragged him out of the courtroom and back to his holding cell well that's kind of wrong you can't let you can't even look at him yeah I mean <laughs> Richard had some piercing eyes oh, no. I mean he had some he's a scary dude I, I oh yeah that. but you know his lawyers you know they they with no experience, they they done the best they could, I guess, to get Richard off. But I mean, it wasn't no, it wasn't no helping him. No, and they can't, surely couldn't control him. No. So was it when he was coming in, hair all blowed out and his glasses on, and the, 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 the wearing no shades, aviator glasses, and all that? Is that when they these lawyers, right? Yeah, yeah, because he was coming in like looking like Hollywood, really. Yeah, and I really don't know how he got all that, how he got his glasses and stuff, but I guess 1985 is a little different now. And, you know, it could have been, you know, with the glasses, you know, him staring people down, they <laughs> couldn't know. tell which way he was looking. The judge might have let him wear the glasses just to keep staring at the witnesses. Yeah. The case was finally given to California Supreme Court Judge Michael Tynan in November of 1986 after lawyers for the defense had succeeded in delaying the trial as much as possible. And the jury consisted of six Hispanics, six Afro-American, African-Americans, and they were sworn in with 12 alternate jurors. Right, yeah, so they'd went through all those people to try to get as fair jury as they thought they could get. Like we said, 3,000 people. 3,000. That's crazy. Yeah. But Richard, all this time in court, he would make, you know, eyes at some of the jurors and stuff, and some of the jurors even had a crush on Richard. Oh, yeah, especially one. Yeah. She was falling in love with yeah, and I don't know how it happened, but it had been reported, too, that she would send him cookies and cupcakes. <laughs> Crazy. Yeah, and, and a juror. I know. What the hell? How would, you, how would they keep her on there, you know? Exactly. It ended up, well, never mind. And they said the first two rows behind Richard were nothing but groupies, women coming in to see him. To see him. Yeah. So, yeah, so they waited hours and just to try to get in there. Yeah. It's crazy. It's kind of disrespectful to the families and all those things. Oh, yeah, it yeah, is. Really. Halpin, who was a prosecutor, did an excellent job of presenting a very powerful case with much physical evidence and eyewitness accounts. And Richard's fingerprints, footprints, guns, face, and voice identified him as the psychopath who brutally murdered, robbed, and sexually assaulted men, women in the Los Angeles and San Francisco areas. Yeah, so they had a lot against him, you know, especially because he left so many people, you know, alive. Yeah. And so, you know, they had a lot of people to testify against him that knew him and 
especially his voice and and all the it was, every witness even testified that he had some pretty bad breath. Yeah, I think horrendous is more. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you know, he had a pretty bad tooth problem going there. Well, he never brushed his teeth. No, all he ate was sweets and candy and sodas. Yeah, and his teeth were rotten. Yeah, that ain't a good. That ain't a good uh, mixture, I guess. No, uh huh. So I guess you know, doing crack cocaine all the time and eating candy, it just—it's not going to do well with your teeth. Yeah, yeah, you ain't going to have a close-up smile. <laughs> no, uh-uh. but I think he did get his teeth fixed while he was in jail. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, we probably paid for that. Yeah, well, not us, but California. We're not in California. Yeah, but yeah, some <laughs> somebody paid for it. Yeah, and at the time this going on, Dale was the most expensive trial in the state of California. Heck yeah. At that time, it was uh, I think it ended up costing one point eight million dollars in nineteen eighty eight. Yeah, which is what like three point six now, something like yeah. that. Yeah, something like that. It ended up being the, the most expensive one until OJ came along. Yeah, yeah. So, and OJ so. blew it out of the water. <laughs> but yeah, this is a pretty expensive trial. So it's this is a lot of landmarks in this trial. Yeah, yeah. They all, virtually everyone in the courtroom was on the verge of tears as they as they had to listen to the particularly heartbreaking story of some kid Kovanoth and told of being raped and humiliated in front of her young children and then finding her husband to be murdered. And she pointed to Richard as the murderer, and he laughed at her. He didn't give a shit, did he? No. He's just one cold dude. And shortly afterwards, the court heard an equally terrible story from Sakina Abawath, who had been widowed and raped as some kid had. And she also was had positive, positively identified him as the killer. Right. So, yeah. So, it, yeah, he was going down. You know, I don't I don't even know what the defense were trying to do. Probably just, maybe just to avoid the death penalty. I think so. Yeah. But hell. I mean, they had so much against him. And the, the defense, they, they tried to throw out evidence and eyewitness accounts on a case-by-case basis. And it was almost no, no success. Yeah. But they did have a few cards up their sleeve, and one was the alibi given to Richard by his father on several and several family friends, and saying that Richard was in El Paso at the time of the Bell, Lang, and Kyle assaults. Yeah, he had some pictures, but there was no way to date them. They didn't yeah. have any dates on them, printed on them or anything, so it was just a another whatever. Okay. Now the defense team had one other card up their sleeve, Dale. And it was the alternate juror, Cynthia Hayden. And she had developed a, a pretty obvious crush on Richard. And eventually, Cynthia replaced one of the other jurors. And the defense felt sure she would not vote for conviction. And I think she was the one that she was... She the cupcake? Yeah, she was the cupcake and cookie maker. <laughs> yeah. That's and, crazy. Yeah. But she was... Actually became the foreman for the jury. Yeah, there's... a. Uh, YouTube videos of the courtroom recordings and the judge asking Cynthia Hayden for, foreman, how do you, you know, tell him the verdict? Right. So yeah, yeah, I know, and I know his sister really wanted Richard to plead insanity, but he did. He wasn't. He didn't want to have nothing to do with that because he he just said the whole trial is going to be a joke. They're going to convict me no matter what. He said, so I'm not pleading that. We're just going to just go through with. It. Yeah. And the jury began deliberations on July the 26th, but they'd been interrupted when one of the jurors had been murdered by a boyfriend, like we said before. Right. 
Yeah. And they reached a unanimous decision on September the 20th. And Richard Ramirez was found guilty on every one of the 46 counts. So even though she was uh, making cookies, she still voted guilty. <laughs> yeah. And on October the 3rd, they voted for the death penalty. Correct. But now, just on a side note, this Cynthia Hayden, after the trial and down the road, she became uh, an investigator for Richard Ramirez on his appeals. Oh, really? Yeah. So she jumped the fence. Anyway. Yeah, she did. Even oh. though she convicted, you know, you know, she voted to sentence him, she worked on some of his appeals mm. as an investigator. Wow. Yeah, that's that's crazy. On the day of sentencing, Richard insisted on reading a statement he had prepared. He stood up and he said, You don't understand me. You are not expected to. You are not capable. I am beyond your experience. I am beyond good and evil. I will be avenged. Lucifer dwells in all of us. I don't believe in the hypocritical, moralistic dogma of this so-called civilized society. You maggots make me sick. Hypocrites one and all. I don't need to hear all of your society's rationalizations. I've heard them all before. Legions of the night, night breed. Repeat not the errors of the night prowler and show no mercy. Yeah. And Judge Tynan responded by giving Richard the death sentence 19 times. Damn. Yeah. Well, you know, in 1984, he got out of one or two, but I don't think you're going to get out of 19. No. Uh -uh. I mean, the, the show 1984, not the year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Dale. This was on October the 3rd, 1989. And after four days of deliberation, the jury said they voted for the death penalty. Uh, the female members were crying. Ramirez, who was present for this, was led from the courtroom smiling, and he said, It's a big deal. Death always went with the territory. A business. Big deal. Death always went with the territory. I'll see you in Disneyland. <laughs> Unquote. I always wondered what Disneyland thought of that. I don't know. I've never heard of uh, anything. They, they probably just didn't say nothing about it. I hope it went away. Yeah. That was a... <laughs> <laughs> yeah but now another side note all this time when richard was uh in the county lockup during the trial there was a celebrity involved in this yes there was he had a a cellmate well not really a cellmate but a next door cellmate by the, by the name of sean penn yeah the sean penn and one. and sean was in jail for punching out a photographer yeah and he a, yeah photographer or extra writer. yeah photographer and he got, uh, Sean was uh, serving 30 days. He was a hothead. He, he got in trouble a lot back in them days. Yeah. Yeah, what happened was, Dale, when they were in the jail together, you know, they they have, their cell were side by side. In the old cell block. In the old cell block. Uh, <laughs> Ramirez knew that Sean Penn was in there and wanted his autograph. And he'd gotten word to Sean Penn, you know. Yeah, through a guard or something, right? Yeah. Yeah. And Sean Penn gave him an autograph. And this is a quote from Vanity Fair that Richard, I mean, uh, that Sean Penn had given. And he said that he was down here on uh, Bochette Street, L.A. County Jail, in the cell working kind of across from him. And after about a month, you know, seeing each other around and all that, uh, Ramirez wanted his autograph. And so he sent him one, and the deputy's over with the deputies. And the deputy came to the cell and told me, he said, hey, you know Richard Ramirez wants your autograph. 
and I didn't know, you know, to trust the deputy or anything because I hadn't gotten in some trouble inside there, you know. So he wanted to try to, you know, stay. Oh, yeah, he didn't want no more trouble. Yeah. So I said, uh, bring the sergeant down here, and I'll talk to him, and if he approves it, then I'll write it down on something first, and then I'll write it back, write him back, write him something back. Right. And so the sergeant came down and approved it, and so they went over to Ramirez, and, you know, the guard basically wanted to play Cupid in some kind of way. And he said we were both on 24 lockdown. But I get this from being, and it says, hey, Penn, stay tough, hit him again, Richard Ramirez, 666, with a pentagram and a rendition of the devil. With a rendition, you know, it's kind of like a, a little scribble drawing. Yeah. Yeah. And a little bit later, Sean wrote Richard Ramirez back, and he said, dear Richard, it's impossible to be incarcerated and not feel a kinship with your fellow inmates. Well, Richard, I've done the impossible. I feel absolutely no kinship with you, Sean Penn. <laughs> a little dig here. Yeah. So, That's yeah, cool. I guess Richard was fanboying a little bit, and then Sean didn't have nothing to do with that shit. Yep. And at the trial, you know, at the end of the trial, Richard Ramirez had a bunch of fans writing him letters and paying him visits. And beginning in 1985, there was one specific one. Her name was Doreen Leoy. And Dale, she wrote him nearly 75 letters during his incarceration. And in 1988, Richard Ramirez proposed to Leoy. And on October 3rd, 1996, they were married in California's San Quentin State Prison. I just want to say I'm ecstatically happy today and very, very proud to have married Richard and to be his wife. In 1996, he married Doreen Loy. He's very sexy in my eyes. I just think he's a gorgeous person. And to me, he's as beautiful inside as he is outside. Crazy. <laughs> and at the time of the wedding, it was a 15-minute ceremony, and they were allowed to kiss and hug, and that was it. That was it. I think his family got to come up, and he's got a hug here and there, and we're done. Yeah. <laughs> and that was it. And she was out there, and she got to, I think she got to visit him once or twice a week or something like that. Yeah, with a pocket full of mints. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. But that was it. And I think her family disowned her. Yeah, pretty much. And from what I read about her, I think she was a journalist or something, or some kind of writer. But, yeah, they they didn't have anything to do with her after that. And, and can you imagine marrying Richard Ramirez and trying to get a job? It was crazy. Yeah. I mean. Now, didn't she believe in him or something, you know? Or is that why or what? Or did she think he didn't do it? Or was I think she was just fascinated it? with him. Yeah, she had always said that she was going to commit suicide whenever uh, Richard was executed. Mm -hmm. but, but it didn't uh, didn't turn out that way because they, uh, they split up before then, I think. Well, they were they were technically married, you know. They just separated. They weren't really. They were never divorced. Oh, okay. Yeah. So they separated. Yeah, they separated. <laughs> Which is funny to me because you already separated. Yeah. You yeah. know, and it's funny when they got married uh, when they brought up the priest or whatever whatever they used, and uh, he left out the part till death do us part. Yeah. Yeah, because he said it was kind of disrespectful. He thought, you know, I guess because you already <laughs> you already got the date the date set. So. Yeah. But anyway, I thought that was kind of a funny little side note. But Richard getting married in prison like that, it, it didn't sit well with a lot of people. The police and the authorities and all the prosecutors that worked so hard to put Richard away. You know, right. why is he allowed privileges? Why is he allowed to do this? Right. You know, he's he's 
meant to pay for his crimes. Why is he getting nice things? Probably pissed off all his girlfriends, too. Oh, he yeah. said that they actually had to move him to a different part of the prison because at one time he had so many girls trying to come and see him that they had to move him to a more secluded part. Mm-hmm. Which is crazy. And there was one time, getting back to Sean Penn, when he was in, in there, Madonna came to see him. This is when Sean Penn was married to Madonna. Right. And she got off the elevator and was being led down the corridor there to see Sean Penn and passed by Richard's cell and asked Sean Penn, who's the good-looking guy? <laughs> And, yeah, he told her that that's Richard Ramirez, the night stalker. And she asked Sean Penn if she could meet him. He said, no. No, uh-uh. <laughs> And Richard Ramirez went through several appeals that, that didn't – they weren't unsuccessful at all. No. They didn't get nothing out of anything. There was a psychiatrist named Michael Stone, and he described Ramirez as a made psychopath as opposed to a born psychopath. And he says Ramirez's uh, schizoid – personality disorder contributed to his influence and indifference to the suffering of his victims and made it untreatable it's crazy well you know like we said he was educated well in the the art of serial killing yes yes yeah and richard ramirez died he didn't he served 23 years on death row but he didn't wasn't executed he died of B-cell lymphoma at Marin General Hospital in Greenbrae, California. Yep. He had been on death row, we say, 23 years, and he was only 53. Yeah. They said he probably would have been 70 before he ever would have been executed. Yeah, and this was on June 7, 2013, when he died. And he had also been affected by chronic substance abuse and chronic hepatitis C. and so. But when he died, nobody claimed the body. That's pretty sad, isn't it? Yeah, even um, him and Doreen Leoy, you know, they were they were separated, but they were still legally married, and none of the, none of his family members or anybody claimed his body. So it was just there for weeks, I guess. Yeah, and they had him cremated, and I don't know what they done with the ashes. No clue. Wow. So yeah, that's that's the end of Richard Ramirez, Dale. And that's the way it was, mm-hmm. or whatever. Yeah, bad dude. <laughs> Yeah, it's a it's a pretty wild story. A pretty bad dude. He didn't give two shits about nobody. He was raised. And he just when he started, he, he full bore. It wasn't no messing around. Yep. But that's it. We wanted to do three parts because we wanted to make sure we covered everything. Because there's a lot of details in this, and it's been it was highly publicized, and a lot of people know about it. So we wanted to make sure we covered all the bases. Yeah, we want to do it justice. You know, a good story. And I'm sure we still miss some stuff, and I'm sure somebody will let us know about it. But oh yeah, but we did our best to get a make it a good story and and include everything that we thought should be. Absolutely. All right, Dale, we're gonna get out of here. Let's do it. We want everyone to be safe, be careful, and always be aware of your surroundings. Because the next episode could be about you. This is the Crack House Chronicles. Chronicles.